Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. Chapter 8, 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteous that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live accordingly to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not deceive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, I'm sorry, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Romans 8, 1 through 17. Romans 8, 1 through 17. I'll turn there. We're going to dig right in. Romans 8, 1 through 17. The first thing I want to do is point something out about this text. It's going to tell us that we need to yield to the Spirit and not to the flesh. We need to focus our eyes and our minds on the Spirit and not on the flesh. And immediately before we even start to dive into what this is all about, I want to say something about this. Because when Paul says that we're to yield to the Spirit and not to the flesh, and he starts to talk really nicely about the Spirit and really unkindly about the flesh... 
he's not dismissing the value and significance of the body. So there is there's almost a mass psychosis in our world such that people think that the body has no spiritual significance. It's widespread and it's very very contagious apparently we look at all the problems that we think of as these cultural these cultural manners in which we stray from the truth and all of them come back to a dismissal of the spiritual significance of the body for example the body that God has given to you is good because God made it number two it's revelatory because God gave it to you And it tells you something about who you are and who God intends for you to be as you live your life and what sort of identity God intends for you to have. So our bodies are good. They reveal something to us about the will of God. But when Paul uses the word flesh, he's talking about something a little bit different. He's not talking about the part of you that's made out of matter. Are you with me? He's not talking about the part of you that's made up of molecules. He's talking about the part of you that still lingers from before you were made alive in Christ. It's the the old man is how he talks about it sometimes. It's the part of you that is given to sin. The part of you that was once the whole of you sold into slavery under sin. That's what Paul means by the flesh. It's the totality of human existence apart from Christ. That's the flesh. Everybody with me? So when we read this, don't hear Paul saying the body is bad and the mind is good. Don't hear Paul exalting what is intellectual above what is physical. Instead, hear Paul saying that life in Christ is better than life apart from Christ. That's what Paul's doing with the spirit and flesh dichotomy that we're going to see. And it is going to be important because we're going to find out that the spirit is the defining characteristic of life in Christ. The Holy Spirit, the, the person of the Trinity that we tend to forget about in our little Baptist circle sometimes, is the defining characteristic of life in Christ. So let's see what Paul has to say to us here in verses 1 through 17. The first thing is this, Paul wants us to be free. He wants you to be free. In fact, he would command us, be free. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Paul wants us to be free, but he doesn't just throw that out into the ether, but he gives us some real tactics for how this can be the case and why this can be the case he says we're going to be free because we are free be free because you are free look the spirit of God has actually come and made this real in your life 
Before you knew Jesus, let me tell you something about yourself. You may not know this, you may not be aware of this, you may not remember this, but you were sold as a slave under sin. You were sold as a slave under sin before you were born. The moment you came into the world, you were sold as a slave under sin because of your first father, Adam, and because of our sin in our first father, Adam. Remember, the text doesn't say that we're all sinners and condemned because Adam sinned. No, we're all sinners because we sinned with him. In Adam, all what? All have sinned. We actually joined him in his sin. In some metaphysical, otherworldly way that we can't really understand, we were sinners the moment we came into the world because we joined Adam in his sin. So that's reality. You were sold as a slave to sin. And that's the reason you were unable not to sin. And if you have objections to that, just think about it for a second. Before you were aware of God's expectations on your life, you surely had your own expectations for your life. Your own ideas about right and wrong. And so think to yourself, did you perfectly execute your own ideas of right and wrong? Because the reality is... Every human being, even if we say, forget about God's law, we've all sinned against, we've all rebelled against, we've all committed infractions against our own made-up ideas of what's right and wrong. You haven't even lived up to your own expectations because we're sold under sin. Unanimously, every single one of us. But the Spirit of God... Through the work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. Remember, when Jesus is about to go away, what does he say? All the disciples are sad. Oh, Jesus, you mean you're leaving, right? No, it's better. This is good. It's better for me to go away than it is for me to stay. Because if I go away, check out what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Spirit. And that's far better than me continuing to live with you. Because the Spirit is going to live in you. And what's going to happen is you're going to actually become like me through the power of the Spirit. You're not just going to look and aspire to this example that you see. But I'm actually going to come into your life through the Spirit and give you the power to be who I would be if I were you. It's better. So the Spirit has actually really set us free from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? It means that the Spirit has given us a new way to live, a new way to achieve righteousness by this obedience that's propelled by Christ. But not only that, the Spirit has given us a life, a life that is invulnerable to the law of sin and death. Because this is a life that comes with a guarantee. It's propped up by the obedience of Jesus. Just like our old life was dragged down into the gutter of sin by the sin of Adam, this new life is propped up, propelled, and held aloft by the obedience, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It comes with a guarantee it can never be reverted to death. The Spirit has set us free and given us this new reality to live into. And God alone has done this. He's done this in Christ, and he did it by a very particular mechanism. You know how he did it? 
because he condemned sin in the flesh. Look what, look what the text says here. It says that God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. In other words, weakened by our already sinful nature could not do. So the law did not have the capacity to set us free from sin and death. Law couldn't do it. The law was never intended to do it, right? We've talked about this for the last seven chapters. If you've been here, you know. Go back and listen to the podcast if you've forgotten some of this stuff. That's all right. You can put it on like 1.5 times thing, you know, so you don't have to listen to me quite as long. But he did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now here Paul is again, he's using this word, he's kind of he's bringing the body into this word flesh. And by the way, it's not the word that doesn't mean body, it's the way Paul is using it. And so Paul here, he's bringing the body back into this and he's saying that Jesus was in the likeness of sinful flesh. How was he in the likeness of sinful flesh? In what way? Well, he had a body. Right? So he looked like and he took on the nature of those who also have bodies but are sinful. So Jesus is in the likeness of sinful flesh, the part of us that's condemned. And what happens? He condemned sin in the flesh. And he did that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, God has now freed us and given us this new life in the Spirit. And with this new life, we now fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Or rather, the Spirit fulfills this requirement in us and through us. It's good stuff. So be free. Because you are. Be free because you are. Here's the next thing. Paul would have us focus. Focus on the Spirit. Focus on the Spirit. Look at verses 5 through 8. For those of us who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Yet those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what does Paul want us to do? He wants us to focus on the Spirit. And he wants us to do this for a reason, for the sake of life and peace. For the sake of life and peace. He gives us this motivation, doesn't he? He supplies a motivation for us. He says, why do this? Because to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. How is this true? How is this the case? Because we tend to move toward what we focus on. Those of you who are archers, hunters, have you ever done any research into instinctive shooting? Any of you guys done any research into instinctive shooting? Well, the people who are really into instinctive shooting have done some research on different things, but 
here's something that happened to someone that I read about that they were thinking about thinking about a an object just to the left of the target and because they were thinking about the object just to the left of the target they actually shot the object just to the left of the target any of you guys ever experienced anything like that so what happened was and this was actually this was repeated over and over again to the point that it was like a replicable experiment that if you think about an object that's not the target, then you will be more likely to hit the object than the target. Now, of course, there's limits. You're not going to shoot something that's behind you if you're aiming forward, right? But your mind has the ability to direct your life. Your mind has the ability to determine the targets you will hit. That's the power of your mind. And when you set your mind on the flesh, and, and this can happen two ways. We can set our mind on the flesh in the sense that we're thinking about what we should and should not do. We're thinking about the deeds of the flesh. We're thinking about avoiding the deeds of the flesh. So we're thinking about the sins we don't want to go and give ourselves to. And we're just spending all our time worried that we're going to sin or trying to think our way out of sin. We're thinking about the thing. What Paul says, instead of doing that, instead of setting your mind on the things of the flesh, either because you don't want them or you do want them, think about the spirit. Because the mind that's set on the spirit, that's the mind that's going to be filled with life and peace. And there's a way that we can do this. He says that the reason that the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God is because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So what does that mean? It means that the way, the way to see the Spirit activated in our lives is to submit to, submit to the will of God. Submit to the commandment of God. And we submit to it. In other words, we say yes to God. We say yes to God's desire for us. We say yes to God's will for us. And it's the spirit within us that gives us the capacity to live into that. So in ourselves, we can never submit to God's law. In ourselves, we can never love God and love other people. In ourselves, we can never live up to God's expectation for us of love. But through the Spirit, we can submit to that. And we can now love one another and we can love God with a full heart. And again, Paul wants to emphasize that we should do this because we can. So be free because you are, right? And focus on the Spirit because you can. Unlike those who are in the flesh. You cannot do any of this. Look at verses 9 through 11 here. And here Paul's going to tell us to come to life. Come to life. Stop being dead. Come to life. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So come to life. And here's why. Because the spirit dwells in you. This is the same spirit, Paul says, that actually provided Jesus with the power to be resurrected. Jesus didn't come out of the grave on his own. He came out of the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who comes into your life when you place your faith in Jesus. Now that's wild, right? Same power that brought Jesus back to life is actually at work in you, alive in you, and giving you a new kind of life. And then Paul says that even though the body is dead because of sin, what does he say? Even though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit <clears throat> is life because of righteousness. Even though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And this gets confusing because all of a sudden it starts to sound like the, the body that we have, this, this body that we have is dead because of sin. And it starts to think, well, maybe he's talking about the body is bad after all. Maybe, maybe the body's bad. Maybe I need to be a mind person, right? Like I just need to kind of do that thing. But look at the way that Paul builds out the argument the rest of the way. Because he's going to fill this out in such a way that we can understand what he's saying. He says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. You see what's happening here? I think what Paul's saying is that even though your body is as good as that, you're going to die, the spirit is life. And so even after death, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will raise you from the dead. The same spirit that makes you alive now will make you alive again after you've died. Now, guys, I 100% believe in the miracles of Scripture. I 100% believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I 100% believe in the resurrection of the body. And I'm still confused about how God's going to reconstitute the matter, right? I don't know how he's going to do it. Anybody, do any of y'all know how he's going to do it? How's he going to reconstitute these cells that have been shared by thousands of other people, right? Like the, the matter that makes up my body, who knows how many thousands, millions of other humans have also shared the same matter. I don't know, right? We've, our bodies are renewed over and over again throughout our lives. Different matter is making us up all the time. It's confusing. It's weird. But what I do know for sure is that God is going to do it. He's going to bring us back to life with a body. And he's going to do that through the power of, watch this, this is where it gets crazy, the spirit. Did you catch that? He's going to, body, spirit, right? These, these are different things. But what's God going to do? He's going to use the spirit to reconstitute our bodies. But we shouldn't be that surprised. You mean the same God who used words? The same God who used words to speak the universe into existence? Is, is going to... Is going to execute the resurrection of the body by means of the Spirit? 
That sounds like something he would do, doesn't it? That sounds like something God would do. And I love what Paul's trying to get across here. He's trying to tell us that living a resurrection life now is proof that we will be resurrected later. Living a spirit-filled life now is evidence of our future resurrection. The Holy Spirit is an eschatological spirit, an eschatological phenomenon. And when I say eschatological, what I mean is it's something to do with the end times, right? Whenever you read in the Old Testament and you start hearing about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God, you're reading some end time stuff. This is, this is the kind of talk that drags the future into the present. That's what the Holy Spirit talk does all throughout the Old Testament. And so when we say that the Holy Spirit is in our lives, what we're saying is that the future is in our lives right now. The end times are inside of us right now. You are the end times. You are the end times. You walk around as the incarnation of the end times. Through the Holy Spirit, who is the eschatological spirit of God, the end times rushing into the present in your life through the power of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, and your faith in it. So when you live the life of the Spirit right now, right? And listen, don't take this for granted, guys. When I first, when I first became deeply aware of my dependence upon the Spirit, so when I first had one of those big growth spurts, anybody else have these like massive growth spurts in your life? So you'll be like walking around minding your business and being really bad at obeying God. And then there'll be like this growth spurt. And all of a sudden you look back and it's like, was I even saved when I was living like that? Right? It's, it's not gradual for me. Is it gradual? It's, some people I'm sure it's more gradual. You don't really see it. But for me, it's spurts. And, and we take it for granted because, you know, 10 years after the last growth spurt, I kind of forget how I was before that, right? But when I first had one of those growth spurts that I was aware of, what happened was immediately I went from having this terrible temper, I went from being this super angry person who knew Jesus but just wasn't very sanctified in that way. I immediately just shed all of that. It was just instant. It was, it was crazy. I went from like one of the most angry people I knew to one of the happiest people I knew. From one of the most quick-tempered people I knew to not losing my temper at all for years, right? But here's the thing. All of us are going to have experiences like that, and the temptation is going to be to begin to forget about the role of the Spirit in that and begin to deposit that into the category of that's what I'm like. We're going to forget about the fact that it's the Spirit that's doing that in us. It's the life of the Spirit that makes that possible for us and through us and in us. And we're going to start to think that it's, no, I've just, I've just matured as a person, as a human being. I've just changed, right? I've been on this human trajectory that all humans are on, and now I'm better at being a human than I used to be. 
I'm going to tell you something. Give it a shot. Quit reading the Bible for a couple of years. And see. Right? Skip church eight or ten times in a row. Yeah, don't, don't, don't read your Bible. Don't do much praying. Skip church. Hang out with people who don't encourage the things of God in your life. And see if it's just you. Because the reality is that it's the end times reality. Remember, what's the end times about? It's about God making everything the way it's supposed to be. In the end, we're going to be not even able to sin, right? We're going to go from innocent in the garden to righteous. So it's that righteousness that's alive in you. You try to do it on your own without the Spirit. You'll find out that this is not a characteristic of yourself. It's a characteristic of the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God that loves people. It's the Spirit of God that's joyful and peaceful. It's the Spirit of God who is patient. The Spirit of God who is kind, good, and faithful, and gentle. It's the Spirit of God who has self-control. I promise you don't. You don't have any of those things. But the Spirit of God activates them in your life and in your heart. And when you walk with Him, when you, by His power, submit to the law of God, then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And only then. I know here's an example of that that I'll just bring to life. I, um, I talk to a lot of men who are surprised that after they get married, they are not completely free of the sin of lust that they struggled with before they got married. You want to know why that's the case? Because when you got married, God only satisfied the righteous part of your desires. He didn't satisfy through marriage your sinful desire for women that you shouldn't have. <laughs> he only satisfied your righteous desires. And so you thought that you were just going to solve it by getting married and having an outlet. Well, of course not. You still have to kill the flesh. You still have to part yourself from this evil desire and yield to the spirit. The only way that's going to die is through spiritual disciplines and actual obedience and really doing the work of moving toward Christ-likeness by the power of the Spirit, propelled by the power of God, not on your own. But of course, God didn't satisfy your sinful desire by giving you a righteous thing. What foolishness, right? But that's the way that we think. We start to think that, well, all the things that look different about my life are now new characteristics about me. And watch this. They are. But they're the completed you. Peeking into the present by the power of the Holy Spirit. The eschatological spirit of God in acting in you what will be true of you. In the end, when God has completed your sanctification and made you exactly who Jesus would be if he were you. Until then, we're borrowing the righteousness of the Spirit, right? 
So here's the next thing. Come to life. Don't forget to come to life. That was important. The next thing Paul wants us to do is pay our debt. Pay your debt. Verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So you aren't in debt to the flesh. And here's what that means. That means you have no obligation to sin. You have no obligation to sin. But doesn't, when you tell yourself to quit sinning, don't you kind of answer back, but I must, right? I must, I must, and I'm obligated to sin. The desire is there. It's real. It's, it's powerful. But you're not obligated to sin. You have no obligation to sin. You're not the slave of sin, but the Spirit of God has given you a new way to live that you can yield to. You're allowed to yield to righteousness. You're commanded to yield to righteousness. And you're able to yield to righteousness because the Holy Spirit is in your life. So you have no obligation to sin. Let that surprise you. Let that grab you for a second. Because I don't think we live into that reality all the time. Sin can begin to feel like an obligation when it comes to us with the urges of the flesh. Not obligated to sin. In fact, sin will kill you. That's what this text says. But if... By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, if you fulfill your obligation to the Spirit, you will live. So you're not obligated to sin. You are obligated to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you do that, you will live. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm reading the Bible and I hear about living and then I see if, I don't like it. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want the whole protestant apotesis thing when it comes to me being alive forever, right? I want that to be just straight up in the declarative mood, you will be alive forever, right? That's what I want. I don't want any ifs, but here we have an if. If we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. So what, what is Paul telling us that we have to do? Here's, here's what he's telling us. Perseverance is essential to salvation. There is no such thing as genuine faith that is not lasting faith. In fact, the genuineness of our faith is demonstrated in our perseverance. So if you want to know if someone's faith is genuine and legitimate, then watch and see if they persevere in the faith. There's no such thing as a real, genuine, saving faith that is not a lasting faith. So that means that through perseverance, we gain life. And that perseverance comes by the power of the Spirit. That perseverance comes by the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. But that perseverance is essential to our salvation. It's not an accessory to our salvation. And then verses 14 through 17, Paul says, Be a son 
Be a daughter. Be a child of God. He says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. You've been adopted. You've been welcomed into a new family. And you've been given all the benefits of being part of that family. Man, you get to be in the same house as this family. You get to eat the same meals as this family. When this family looks at their biological children and they look at you, they see the same thing. They see the object of their love and affection. You've been welcomed into a brand new reality. You've been adopted into this family and you've received the spirit who is the spirit of adoption in other words the spirit who reminds us we have a new father we're in a new family you guys remember that show different strokes and it's like that even better it's like what you talking about willis right like it's new it's real it's glorious so much better than anything we could ever have dreamt of And if children, then heirs. In other words, we stand to gain everything that our Father has. We're heirs. We stand to gain everything that our Father has. And fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And this is where legalists receive their reward in full. Right here with this passage, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Because the legalist is going to run at this text and they're going to be trying to just gobble up all the suffering they can find. Where is it? Where can I suffer? Where can I be miserable? Where can I, where can I also demonstrate my misery? Where can I do something that really stinks so I can like be part of this thing? That's, that's not what's going on. Look, I want to make you a promise right now. Everybody ready? You are going to suffer. You don't have to go hunting it. You don't have to go rounding up opportunities to suffer. That's not what this text is about. What the text is about is that we suffer in a particular way. How? With Christ. In other words, persevere. Remain in the faith. Hold on to the gospel. No matter what suffering comes your way, remain with Christ. So the spirit is not about fear. It's about sonship. And the spirit reminds us that we are his. So I want to close with a few questions. And, and these questions are just going to help us center in on whether we're living in the spirit, this spirit of adoption, this spirit who constantly, the text says that he cries out, Abba, Father, in our hearts. At all times, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness, Paul says, to this reality that we belong to God. Man, that ought to be real. That ought to be noticeable in your life. So I want to ask a few questions about whether this is real in your life. Something to reflect on. Here's the first thing. 
when you experience obedience, an intentional obedience, right? When you experience obedience, do you experience it as an achievement? Or do you experience it as a gift? Are you filled with satisfaction in yourself when you experience obedience? Or are you filled with gratitude to Christ? Holy cow, I can't believe I just did that, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness that you awakened this possibility in my heart and in my life. That I, That's not me. And I'm the guy that would shove you across the room if you looked at me funny. And I was just... Oh, it's just nice, you know? That's not me. Do you experience it as an achievement or as a gift? Here's the next thing. When you experience disobedience, right, are you quick to confess and repent? Are you quick to re- confess and repent? In other words, run to God, run to Jesus, or... Do you justify yourself endlessly first? In other words, you have sinned. You know you've sinned. You're under the conviction of God that you've sinned. Are you quick to repent? Or do you kind of pretend like nothing's going on for ages and ages? Because remember, the Holy Spirit is one who testifies constantly in the hearts of his people that we belong to God and God's our Father. You can't really listen to that constantly and just ignore it for ages before you finally yield and say, God, I confess I'm I'm a sinner. It doesn't mean that if you continued in sin one time for a week that you're lost. But it means that there should be a pattern in your life of quickly running to Jesus after you sin. Martin Luther said it like this. He said, sin boldly, repent more boldly. He said in German, so who knows what the heck he meant. But (laughs) Yeah, German, man. So are you quick to confess and repent, or do you justify yourself endlessly first? And here's, here's the one I love the most. And this is... This is the one that I saw somebody say the other day that there's a, an unspoken bond between all the people sitting in a coffee shop on a Saturday morning reading their books and not talking to each other. An unspoken bond. And you can just like feel the warmth of connection with one another as you're like sipping your latte and reading your book. That sounds like hogwash to me. I don't know. But I like the idea of it because there's an unspoken bond between believers and it's, it's this thing that the Spirit does in our hearts. He's crying out, Abba, Father, right? Like that, that's an emotional, visceral thing. And because the Spirit is the one who's going to reconstitute our bodies, by the way, right? The, the Spirit of God is going to reconstitute our material bodies into a new, better material body. And the Word of God, immaterial Word, brought the entire material universe into existence. So I don't know about y'all, but it makes sense to me that the Spirit of God should have 
an impact on me that can be felt and experienced, right? And I do experience this, and I, I want to ask you if you do. When you confess your sin, when you go to God in repentance and confession, do you find your heart warmed by the truth of the gospel? Do you find your heart warmed by this reality that God is ready and eager to welcome you into his arms and forgive you? And the Holy Spirit is eager to continue to testify that you're his. Man, it, oh, it's so good that it's almost worth sinning. Isn't it? It's so good. It's so good to be welcomed into God's arms after we've sinned. And to experience the beauty and the kindness of forgiveness. So I pray, I pray that we're all those who are in Christ. That we're all those who are filled with the spirit of adoption. That we're all those who hear the same spirit testifying in our hearts at all times. He's your dad. He loves you. You were his, and it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you make. It doesn't matter how many messes you make. You're, you're his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of the gospel in this passage. Thank you for the power that your word has to shape us and form us into the likeness of Jesus I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would cause us to submit to you in love for one another, in love for our Father, and that you would work the righteousness of Christ in our lives, and that we would live this new resurrection reality as evidence of the resurrection we will one day experience. God, bring the future rushing into the present by the power of your Holy Spirit, and let us live it out right now as your witnesses here in this broken world. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.